Hey everyone, welcome to episode 8 of Sam Splaining Science. I'm Sam, I'm your host, I'll be Sam Splaining the Science. Today we're finally doing it. We're talking about COVID. Let's get into it. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. I hope you all had a nice week. For today's episode, we're talking about COVID-19, the illness caused by SARS-CoV-2 virus. There are, of course, tons of questions that we can cover for today's episode, and unfortunately, we can't answer them all. Um, But if there's anything that I missed in today's episode that you want to learn more about, please, please, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a follow-up episode talking more about this Um, because it is a very important topic that's affected all of our lives very drastically over the last two years. I mean, who hasn't had COVID on the brain? Anyone? Has anyone not had COVID on the brain? If so, I want to talk. I want to trade places for just five minutes, only five minutes of your time. Thank you. So, all right, let's focus on the questions that we'll answer for today. There's two main ones. Um, The first is sort of like a background question. How does the coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, get transmitted to and infect our bodies? And how does that lead to COVID-19? So that's the first set of questions that we're going to tackle. The second question is much more specific, and it's based on a very recent study that has come out looking at the effect of COVID on the brain. So conveniently, I actually just published an article at my university's postdoc press office on this topic. If you're interested in reading my press office piece, I can put the link to my article below, in addition to the sources that I'm using Um, to answer the questions that we will answer today. Um, So yeah, as always, the sources for the answers to these questions will be in the description, but I also want to give a very huge shout out to some science communicators who I've followed over the last two years. I am by no means an expert in infectious diseases or in, you know, immunology or virology or epidemiology or all these ologies. I have no idea. But these science communicators that I followed have taught me so much about COVID, how it works, how the vaccines work, all these things. So I'll link their Instagram handles below um, in addition to the the sources that I use to answer the questions because I've just found them to be very helpful resources day to day. And um, they're just, you know, when you're scrolling mindlessly through Instagram, they're good to learn from while you're also looking at pictures of dogs and stupid memes. And it's like, oh, right, I can learn something here too. (laughs) So definitely check them out. All right, first question, starting from the very beginning. A very good place to start, says Miss Julie. Um, what, what is COVID? What is SARS-CoV-2? Um, 
So SARS CoV two. I'm saying cove. I don't know if it should be cove. Cov. I don't know. It's S A R S dash C O V dash two. SARS CoV two. It stands for severe acute respiratory syndrome. That's S A R S. The C O V stands for Corona virus. So the C O V. And then two is the second one because there was a SARS a while back. A little throwback Thursday for you. There was an original SARS. This is album two. So this SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes COVID-19 or the coronavirus infectious disease. That's the ID in COVID-19 for 2019, the year when this was first discovered. So SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. You might have seen a picture of like the virus particle online, in the news, in articles, and it kind of looks like a little bubble. And it usually has like red spiky things. I don't think they're like red in real life, but they're in the pictures, they're always like these red spiky things that come out of the bubble. That itself is the whole package is the virus. These virus particles travel through the air um, in respiratory droplets. So when we breathe air in and out of our lungs, the air we breathe out has some moisture to it, right? Like if you, like it's, there's moisture in your breath. So these little moisture droplets carry SARS-CoV-2 viruses if we are infected with COVID. And if the person sitting next to us breathes in our droplets, which sounds very intimate, but if they breathe in your droplets, they can get infected too. And if a person gets enough virus in their body, so if they're breathing in enough of your infected droplets, I don't know why I'm saying you. It's a general you. Um, the theoretical you. <laughs> if a person gets enough of these virally infected droplets into their body, they are susceptible to developing COVID-19. But how? What goes on? When the virus gets into, when we breathe it in and it gets into our lungs, what happens? How does it infect us? The magic is in the spiky thing. It's in the spike protein. The spike protein is like a transformer. It's more than meets the eye. Transformers, more than meets the eye. Uh, it's not an episode of Sam's Planning Science unless I sing when I shouldn't, right? Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, so what you see on the bubble of the virus particle is the spike protein in its closed formation. But it can also transform itself into another configuration to be an open configuration. When the spike protein is open, there's a little piece of the protein that was hidden inside the spike that now becomes visible when it's open. And this piece is called the receptor binding domain. 
if I can make another, um, like, childhood media reference for a second, the spike protein is kind of like Inspector Gadget's, like, arm, his hand. Inspector Gadget. That was, this is a twofer episode. You get two Samsungs for the price of one. You're welcome. (laughs) But yeah, the spike protein is like Inspector Gadget's hand because Inspector Gadget's hand is just a hand until he needs a screwdriver. And then a screwdriver pops out and it lets him do the thing that he needs to do, right? His arm, his hand is the spike protein. And the screwdriver that pops out when he needs it is the receptor binding domain. And that lets the virus... Inspector Gadget, in this case, into the cell. Wherever Inspector Gadget is trying to go. Whatever he's trying to use the screwdriver for. So when the receptor binding domain is free, it's available, it's out in the open, it can bind to another protein that exists on the surface of our cells called the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 or ACE2, or ACE2, the ACE2 receptor. The ACE2 receptor plays an important role in proper heart and lung function, among many other things. It has many roles. But for now, all we need to know is that ACE2 acts like a lock to our cells. And the receptor binding domain within the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein is the key for that lock. So the receptor binding domain unlocks ACE2 and lets itself right into our little lung cells. So it barges in, unlocks the door. Now COVID is inside the house, inside our cells. And and once it's inside our cells, it makes itself at home. And by that I mean it completely takes over. It looks at the machinery of your cells, all of the like little functioning pieces that make your cells work happy together. It looks at all that machinery and it says, I am the captain now. And then it does the only job a virus has, which is to replicate. That's all viruses want to do. They're very self-absorbed. They're very self-centered. They're very much, it's about me, deal with it. So they're just constantly, they need more of themselves constantly. So they're going to keep replicating and they don't have, viruses don't have the machinery themselves to replicate. So they have to break into other living organisms and use their machinery to do it. So SARS-CoV-2 breaks into our lung cells if we're breathing it in and it, um, uses the machinery in our lung cells to make more of itself and replicate because that's literally the only thing that it wants to do. And it does this over and over and over again. makes more and more new viruses that can infect our lungs and our lung cells. As we learned about a few weeks ago in episode six, the episode about the heart and the cardiovascular system, the lungs have lots of blood vessels in them because there's a lot of gas transfer that goes on there between oxygen and CO2. So if it's infecting our lungs, it could also potentially affect our blood vessels that are in our lungs. 
and then it could also potentially affect the heart. And by the way, the, the extra viruses that it makes as it's doing what it needs to do kind of floats around in our lungs so that when we breathe out, the respiratory droplets that we breathe out are filled with little baby COVIDs. And that's why we wear our masks, right kids? I wrote a blog, this is way, way, way throwback. Um, in July of 2020, I wrote a blog post about masks. So if you're interested, you can go to samsplainingscience.com and go to the archives. We're throwing it back. We're, you can go to the archives, and it's July of 2020. I think it was like the second or third blog post that I ever wrote. But it's basically a... Uh, What's the word I'm thinking of? Not verbal. It's a it's a reading. What's what's verbal but for reading? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I know I'm smart, but not always. <laughs> anyway, if you want to read it, you can go to samsplainingscience.com, look at the archives, and read about why masks are important in preventing COVID spread. Okay, where were we? Now COVID's in our lungs, it's taking over our lung cells, it's replicating like maniacs. Eventually, the immune system catches on, right? It notices some of your cells are acting up right? They're not themselves. So one part of the immune system's response to this is the inflammatory response. Basically everything gets inflamed as the immune cells try to fight off the infection. You might cough a lot because the lining of your lungs are or is irritated. You might have a fever because your body temperature is rising because your body's trying to burn off the COVID. I don't know if that's actually the physiological reason, but I'm pretty sure it's something like that. <laughs> In many ways, some of the symptoms of COVID sort of make sense when you consider the infection route, right? When you have like shortness of breath or coughing, it's because your lungs are irritated and we know that we breathe in COVID and it infects our lungs. So that kind of makes logical sense. Um... But I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot about the immune system, about the inflammatory response, etc., that I do not understand. It's very complicated. And the scientific literature is filled with letters, like when it comes to this stuff, like an IL-6 or a TGF-alpha or a TGF-beta. I'm not going to sam-splain it to you today because I have to sam-splain it to myself first, and I haven't done that yet. So I'm going to save that for when I feel like I have a better grip on what I'm talking about. But one thing to keep in mind here in the context of COVID is that in COVID, studies have shown that ACE2 receptors, which remember is the, the lock that lets COVID into our cells, the ACE2 receptors are downregulated in COVID. So that means that there's less ACE2 receptors in our system. 
And this loss of ACE2 receptors has been shown to be connected with an increase in TGF-beta levels in cancer research. TGF-beta is a marker of inflammation. So the exact pathway I'm not too familiar with, and I actually don't really know if like the science community knows. They probably, they definitely know better than I do. But um, there's this sort of relationship between low ACE2 levels and high TGF-beta levels. So in other words, lower ACE2, which is what we see in COVID, in other circumstances has been tied to higher inflammation as indicated by TGF-beta levels. And these levels aren't just in the lungs either, right? These inflammation markers are oftentimes systemic. They're seen throughout the body, right? Um, So that's another thing to consider, that inflammation can be local, but it can also be systemic throughout the whole body. So hopefully that answers our first set of questions, sort of a background of what COVID is, how it infects our cells, and how it makes us sick. So let's go on to question two. Question two, neurobiologically, because uh, you know, you should know by now that I bring everything back to the brain because I love the brain. It's so cool. Um... But the question, too, is how does severe COVID impact the brain? A lot is still not known about this, and a lot's not known about COVID in general. Um, But a recent study that was published, like, last week or, like, earlier in February suggests that there are some proteins in the brains of COVID patients that are the same ones that we see in the brains of Alzheimer's disease patients. Don't worry, let's dig into the study, let's figure it out. So as we know, COVID-19 infection can lead to respiratory and cardiac symptoms that we talked about, right? Like the inflammation in your lungs or your blood vessels, you know, can lead to those types of symptoms. But it can also lead to neurological symptoms. And if you've had COVID, it's very possible that you've had some of these symptoms, including loss of taste and smell, Those are both considered neurological symptoms. Maybe you had a headache, uh, disturbed consciousness, or brain fog is another symptom that a lot of people who have had COVID have reported. Another symptom that's been reported in COVID is tingling sensations in your limbs or paresthesia. Um, But the exact reason why these neurological symptoms occur is not very well understood. It's tough to explain some of these symptoms. Why are we losing our sense of taste and smell um, with COVID? Like the lung thing makes sense because it's like, oh, it gets into our lungs, it infects our lungs. But why are we losing our sense of taste and smell? Um, The pathways for that are not super clear. Enter this recent study. Um, by Dr. Riken and colleagues from the Department of Physiology and Cellular Biophysics at Columbia University. They explored how factors associated with COVID infection, like inflammation, might lead to these neurological symptoms. So let's dig into it, as I said. 
Remember H2? We just talked about it maybe five or six minutes ago. Um, the H2 receptor is the lock on our cells that the receptor binding, receptor binding, what is it called? Wow, Sam, you just said it 10 seconds ago. Receptor binding unit, receptor binding domain. Oh, see, this is with the big words. Just say unit. <laughs> so our friend ACE2 is the lock. The receptor binding domain can unlock in order to let the SARS-CoV-2 virus into our cells. Well, not only is it relevant in COVID, this ACE2 protein, it's also relevant in Alzheimer's disease. In Alzheimer's disease, we see an abnormal amount of protein buildup in the brain. Two of these key proteins are amyloid beta and tau. So remember those names. In Alzheimer's, we see that lower ACE2 levels is tied to higher concentrations of amyloid beta and tau. So remember, we do see lower ACE2 in COVID as well. And in Alzheimer's disease, we see that when ACE2 is lowered, we have higher concentrations of these proteins that are associated with Alzheimer's disease, cognitive impairment, memory loss, and other symptoms that we see in that neurodegenerative disorder. So the authors of the paper cited below thought that maybe ACE2, the entry point of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, activates inflammation pathways that can affect the brain like we see in Alzheimer's disease. And then that is causing the neurological issues that we sometimes see with COVID infections. I forget if I mentioned, but one in three COVID patients experienced neurological symptoms. So this is like not nothing. It's not like one in a thousand. This is 33% of people who have had COVID have these neurological symptoms. So it's, you know, a, a moderate amount of people. So it's definitely something that is uh, a concern and something that we would like to get to the bottom of for sure. So in the Riken study, Brain samples were taken from 10 patients who had passed away from COVID-19, and they were compared to the brains of people who did not have COVID-19 at the time of their death. In this study, in part of the study, they measured a lot of things, but I'm just going to talk about a few. They measured inflammation markers that represented the activity of TGF-beta. So TGF-beta remembers that inflammation marker. Um, they measured this in brain samples from people who had COVID and people who did not have COVID. Remember that TGF-beta levels are high when ACE2 levels are low. They've seen this in like animal models and cancer. Um, so this is like kind of a well-established pipeline or association. And then also remember that ACE2 is low in COVID. ACE2 levels are low in COVID. So with that logic, sure enough, the researchers found that the measures of TGF-beta were higher in the brain samples of people who had COVID 
than in their non-COVID patient counterparts. And this suggests that COVID infection contributed to more inflammation in the brain. TGF-beta is a marker of inflammation since there was more of it in the COVID brains. They said, hey, COVID is causing inflammation even in the brain. They also discussed this sort of wild and wacky detour um, that could explain some of the symptoms that are occurring in, like the neurological symptoms that are occurring in COVID. So hang, hang with me here for a second. Inflammation might have downstream effects that impact the function of healthy tissues. And one example of this is the highly regulated use of the calcium ion. So calcium is a key player in cell-to-cell -cell communication, whether it be sending electrical signals, sending chemical signals. Calcium has a huge role in um, in like cell-to-cell -cell communication, and even within cell communication. Um, and in inflammation, sometimes the use of the calcium ion is dysregulated and it becomes all wackadoodle. Specifically, we're, we're diving in now, the ryanodine receptor, or RYR, is an ion channel protein that's responsible for calcium release. So when the ry ryanodine receptor is in an open configuration, calcium can flow freely through the channel. Just, it can flow wherever it wants to go. To stop the calcium flow, there are additional proteins that have to interact with the ryanodine receptor to close the channel to stop calcium from flowing and prevent the calcium release. The helper proteins that support the ryanodine receptor in stopping this calcium release have been shown to be downregulated in inflammation. So if these helper proteins are not around, that means that normal calcium flow is disrupted. That means we have too much calcium flow because the channels can't close without the helper proteins. And this type of dysfunction is called a calcium leak. Calcium leaks, one thing to mention, calcium leaks have been thought to contribute to a number of diseases, including the development of tau in Alzheimer's disease. So remember, tau is one of these very important proteins in Alzheimer's disease. And studies have shown that calcium leaks could contribute to the buildup of tau. In Alzheimer's. <laughs> let's take a breather. Let's let's take a breath. Drink some water. I could edit this out, but maybe I won't. Everyone take a sip of water. Wherever you, you are right now, just hydrate. It's important. Okay, so getting back to the Riken study. In this study, indicators of a typical functioning ryanodine receptor channel were measured in these two cohorts, in these two groups, 
the brain samples of people who had COVID and the brain samples of people who didn't have COVID. And these measures included the amount of the ryanodine receptor channel that was in the open configuration, which means that calcium was flowing free without regard for any uh, regulation, just doing whatever it wants to do. And they also measured the concentration of the helper proteins that help the ryanodine receptor close to stop the free flow of calcium. The researchers found that there was less helper protein levels in COVID brains compared to the non-COVID brain. So again, finding that with higher inflammation, assuming that the COVID brains had higher inflammation, there was less of these helper proteins in those brains compared to people who had less inflammation and no COVID in their brains. Additionally, more of the ryanodine receptor channels were in an open configuration in the COVID brains than the non-COVID brains, which again makes sense because if there's less helper protein, less of the ryanodine receptors will be able to close. They really need the help of that helper protein to close. So when there's less of the helper protein, they're just gonna be stuck open. Um, so this means that calcium leaks were more likely in the brains of people who had COVID than the people who didn't have COVID because those channels were open more often in the COVID brains. In addition to looking at inflammation and calcium release, this study also investigated the levels of Alzheimer's disease-related proteins. So remember, those were amyloid beta and tau. Um, for amyloid beta, they looked at relevant protein levels that indicate amyloid beta or that are associated with amyloid beta levels. Uh, and those levels were actually similar between COVID patients and controls. So there was no difference there between um, COVID and non-COVID patients when it came to amyloid beta protein. However, the concentration of the tau protein which is also very implicated in Alzheimer's disease, was higher in COVID patients compared to controls. And this was the case in the two brain regions that they looked at in the COVID patients, which included the temporal lobe, which is a region that is very implicated in Alzheimer's disease, and in the cerebellum, which typically is not really affected by Alzheimer's. So to take this one step further, the researchers treated COVID patient brain samples with an exploratory drug that's currently in clinical trials that helps to fix calcium leaks in tissue. So with this drug, they measured the helper protein levels in the COVID brain samples that they had just measured, but now they measured it in the COVID sample plus drug. And they found that the helper protein levels increased when in the COVID brain samples when they were given this drug um, in the petri dish, right, in the lab. Like, this drug is not available for people. Um, it's exploratory, but they're, like, looking at it in the dish, in, in the lab, and seeing that this drug was able to recover the helper protein levels that were low with COVID. Additionally, the amount of ryanodine receptors that were in the open configuration decreased in the COVID brain samples that were treated with this exploratory drug compared to the untreated samples. 
So this can lead us to say, if open or unstable ryanidine receptors lead to calcium leak that can contribute to the uh, promotion of, of tau collection in the brain, that can cause potential cognitive and behavioral symptoms. And then if that's the case, then this exploratory drug could potentially be used to regulate the calcium release and potentially, maybe, possibly, treat the brain abnormalities that are associated with COVID-19. So, saying that again, if the inflammation causes calcium leak, and the calcium leak causes tau protein to build up in the brain, and the tau protein that builds up in the brain leads to the cognitive and behavioral symptoms, just like we see in Alzheimer's, then we can use this exploratory drug to cut off the calcium leak and stop it, stop that chain of events from happening at the calcium leak to prevent tau buildup in the brain and prevent some of the neurological symptoms that we see in COVID, potentially. This is very... Um, early stage speculative ideas, but pretty interesting, pretty cool. Let's talk about some limitations though, or just some things to consider when we're talking about this study, because it is very cool and very interesting, but there's always a, but always, um, one thing that the paper mentioned that I thought was interesting, and it's not really a limitation, but it's just something to consider, is that they tested the brain samples of the COVID patients for SARS-CoV-2 virus, and they did not find any detectable levels of the virus in the brain, which means that the effects that we're seeing in the brain, or at least like the inflammation and, and the you know calcium leaks in the tau, are caused by systemic factors. They're not localized to the cells that are infected with SARS-CoV-2 because the cells in the brain that they looked at were not infected with SARS-CoV-2. They were, there was no detectable virus in, in those brain samples. But the systemic effects that the infection caused then caused the pathology that we're seeing in the brain samples if that makes sense. Next, oh, I didn't mean to scream, sorry. I just get very excited. <laughs> Next, in terms of the Alzheimer's disease-related proteins, they saw elevated tau protein in the temporal cortex and the cerebellum. And I mentioned earlier that in Alzheimer's disease, uh, the temporal cortex is a region that's very implicated. Um, parts of the temporal cortex are close to like where memory formation and storage happens in your brain. And of course, in Alzheimer's disease, one of the key symptoms of this neurological condition or neurodegenerative condition is um, memory loss. So this is a region of the brain that's really, really implicated in AD. But the current study with COVID also found that the cerebellum had higher levels of tau. 
And this is not typical in Alzheimer's disease. In Alzheimer's disease, the cerebellum usually is not affected. The cerebellum in your brain is important for balance and motion control and um, other things like that that are slipping my mind right now. But they're not usually implicated in Alzheimer's disease. Um, And typically in Alzheimer's disease, when we look at images, for example, we look at the cerebellum and see that it does seem very healthy otherwise. Um, And then there's atrophy and there's, you know, other types of pathology in regions of the brain of the temporal lobe and sometimes the parietal lobe, frontal lobe, um, but never in the cerebellum. So it's kind of weird that in COVID we see tau, this protein that's implicated in in AD in the cerebellum, but we don't see it in AD in the cerebellum. Um, So that's definitely one thing to consider. Uh, I'm ranting again. I wonder how many of you are listening to this and are just like, shut up. I mean, you could just turn it off, right? Have you ever turned it off? Be honest. I understand. I get it. I would too. (laughs) Okay. Um, What else did I want to say? Okay. But the point that I'm trying to make here is this. In Alzheimer's disease, we see tau collected in regions that are associated with cognitive impairment and memory loss and all of the symptoms of AD. So it's kind of a valid hypothesis to think that the collection of tau in the brain of COVID patients is contributing to some of their neurological symptoms and their cognitive symptoms, right? A lot of people who've had COVID complain of brain fog. Could it be that these people who have brain fog have tau in their brains and it's and the tau protein building up in their brains is kind of contributing to this dysfunction or this dysregulation of brain activity that makes them feel in a funk. And the current study, like I mentioned at the end, proposes maybe a potential tool for that. Um, a potential tool to fix the, uh, or at least stop the tau buildup um, by addressing the calcium leak issue that might lead to tau buildup. So in all, there's a lot of unknowns, <laughs> but it is promising. And I think, you know, two years into this pandemic, we are learning a lot about COVID. We still have a very, very long way to go, but um you know, future work, current and ongoing work and future work, hopefully will address, you know, what we don't know yet. And um, maybe help with the treatment of people who are struggling with prolonged symptoms of COVID as well. I hope. That's the goal. All right, I have one final thought that kind of goes off of this that I wanted to talk about. And it's that the COVID pandemic is an ongoing public health crisis. And I understand it's annoying and it's frustrating and that we all want this to be over. But as I mentioned, we know so much more today than we did this day two years ago. 
But then there's also so much that we still don't know about COVID and its potential long-term impacts and its implications. Um, But these unknowns are what drives science, right? Scientists thrive off of the unknown because it gives us job security. So what we're all witnessing and what we're all living through right now, besides the horror and the trauma of a global pandemic, is science in real time. Is it frustrating? Hell yes. Science is frustrating as hell. But will it be rewarding once we get to the other side of this? I think yes, absolutely. I think it, I hope that it will give us all an appreciation, one of all the front, frontline workers who bared the brunt of this pandemic and saw the worst of the worst conditions during this pandemic. But I also hope that it'll help us appreciate the scientists who are doing their best to figure this thing out, who are giving their all to answer all of these unknown questions so that we can figure it out and move on and move forward. Eventually we will move forward. That's a, that's a fact. But I just hope that as frustrating as it is, people can respect the science that's happening in real time to get us over this frustration. And that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. No, I lied. I have one more thing I want to say. Wear your masks and also get vaccinated. Protect yourself and protect each other and be safe. That was me. I don't know what I did there. I did the the action thing, but that's for the beginning, not the end. Again, I do think I'm smart, just not always. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all we're going to cover for today. If you want to hear more about COVID, about vaccines, or about potential treatments, or about, you know, any other aspect of COVID, please do let me know. Um, It's a lot to fit everything into one episode, but like I said, it's like a very important and really interesting topic and issue in today's world. So I'd love to answer more questions that you may have. Um, I just have to educate myself first because I don't belong here. I don't belong in a, in a COVID conversation. Let's say that. Um, I'm trying to belong, but, uh, and I'm, <laughs> this is not my, my safe space. Okay. Um, but yeah, send me any questions that you have. I'd love to address them and try to clear up any confusion or any concerns that you might have about COVID. All right, that's it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at SamSplainingSci. You can ask questions uh, you can send me questions through my website, samsplainingscience.com slash ask, or hit me up in the DMs, baby, Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> um, 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.